Well, thanks so much for filling out those cards. And my name is Scott Grant. I'm one of the pastors, one of the elders. I serve along with Paul here in both those capacities. And it's our joy to be able to do that. And it'll be our special joy to be able to pray for you this coming weekend. So this weekend, uh, we are going back to the beginning. It is a new year. It's the beginning of a new year. So we are going back to the beginning in the scriptures. So our new series is going to be in Genesis. Now, when we preach here at PBC and when we study all these great marvelous texts, these chapters, these early chapters of Genesis are never far from our minds because they are so foundational. In fact, when we preach texts uh, from wherever we're preaching, oftentimes you will hear us refer to these verses because they are so foundational, they are so important, they are so uh, significant for how we live our lives. So we thought it would be time to go back and revisit these foundational chapters. In fact, these early chapters in Genesis have not been preached here at PBC for 25 years. So we figured it was about time to go back to the, to the, uh, to the beginning. Now listen to what David says in Psalm 139. You formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. God saw your unformed substance. He formed you in your mother's womb. Then something happened that you never could have foreseen. You were born. (laughs) You didn't see that coming, did you? Whoa, you are now alive. What now? You've been born. You're alive. You live in this earth. What now? The big answer comes at the end of Genesis chapter one, but the first two verses in Genesis can give us a start. So that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to look at the first two verses in the Bible, three sentences, two verses. We are going to look at these Verses one sentence at a time. First of all, Genesis 1, verse 1, which reads, as many of you know, without having to read it. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God. God is before the beginning. God is, God was, God has no end. God will be, he is, he was, he is to come. This is really impossible to completely wrap our minds around this whole concept of God who is uncreated because everything else is created or proceeds from something else. God is the huge exception. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, what beginning is the writer of Genesis talking about? Not the beginning of everything, He's talking about the beginning of the stuff that God had to work with. Now, it's true that God created everything, of course, but the beginning that the writer of Genesis is talking about is the beginning of uh, what God did sort of in in creation with the stuff that was already there. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So what are the heavens? The heavens of the sky... And the earth is all the stuff below, the heavens and the sky. This is a way of saying God created everything and formed everything and shaped everything. But it also is saying that there's heavens, there's the sky, and there is the earth 
and God created both of those. He formed those as we're gonna see as we work through the rest of Genesis chapter one beginning next week. Now this is not to say that God did not create everything because you look at Hebrews chapter 11 verse three and we read this. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. So God's created everything, but what we're talking about in Genesis 1 is what God worked with, the stuff that God had to work with after the initial phase of creation. We're talking here in Genesis 1 about the so-called six days of creation. Now, this is a polemic. This would be a polemic or a teaching against other common views of the cosmos that were circulating in pagan stories. There are all sorts of pagan stories and myths about how all of this came to be and the gods are fighting up there against each other and somehow as a result of all this warring and stuff, you end up with, a, with the earth and you end up with the heavens and you end up with humans and humans are an afterthought and humans do the grunt work for the gods and all of this. It's really, it's really ugly stuff. And so the writer of Genesis is saying, forget about all that. In the beginning, God. There's one God, and he created the heavens and the earth. And later in the scriptures, we see that many of the writers are contrasting who God is with the pagan gods or the pagan versions of the gods. So for example, we see this in Psalm 96, verse 5, for all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. We read this in Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 11. The gods who did not make the heavens and the earth shall perish from the earth and from under the heavens. There is one God, he created everything, and after he created everything, he formed everything, and he filled everything. So what did God have to work with when he went to work to create the heavens and the earth? We see that in Genesis Chapter one, verse two, and the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. It was without form, it was formless. It was uninhabitable. It was void, it was uninhabited. It is not at this place in a good place. The writer of Genesis cannot yet say, and God saw that it was good. Here is the stuff that God had to work with. It's sort of uncreation. It's a blank slate. And the magnificent divine artist is about to go to work to create the heavens and the earth, to form them and to fill them. Notice there is no dry land. Notice there is no light. It's all water. It's all darkness. It is not at all suitable for life. God is about to change all that. Look at Genesis chapter one, verse two, second part, our final verse. And the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Now this word that is translated hovering was a rarely used word, but it was used by Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 11, concerning an eagle, an eagle that was hovering over its young protecting its young, nurturing its young, and preparing its young for the future. 
And so we get the idea then when we read that the Spirit of God is hovering, that would be God himself, this hovering like an eagle over this unformed substance. He's he's, he's in the process of nurturing. He's in the process of creating. He's, He's in the process of doing this marvelous work for the sake of the future. The earth and the heavens are in their infancy and they need to be brought to life so to speak, and the Spirit of God is hovering. That does for readers this. It builds anticipation. It's just the whole concept of the Spirit of God hovering like an eagle. What's going to happen now? He's stirring things up. It builds anticipation for us as readers. What's God going to do in the six days of creation? Two basic things. He's going to form the heavens and the earth, and he's going to fill the heavens and the earth so that the heavens and the earth, especially the earth, which ends up being the focus, can be inhabitable and it can be inhabited. God forms and God fills. And God creates the heavens and the earth and God creates the heavens and especially the earth as a place for humans to live. Now, in the musical West Side Story, Tony and uh, Maria sing, is there a place for us? There's hope. They're they're hoping that someplace there's a place for us. And of course, they're the star-crossed lovers and they can't find a place. There's no place for them. Is there a place for us? Indeed, there is. And do you know what that place is? It's the earth. God has made this earth earth. He has made it so that it can be inhabited by us. When you think about it, really, it's a pretty amazing place. There's air to breathe. There's food to eat. There's water to drink. There's materials with which to make clothing, with which to make shelter. It is an amazing place. It is unlike any other world that we know of. Now, who knows, we may find something someday out there somewhere, but everything we know about, there's just no place like this place. And God has made it it and put us in it. We should take better care of it. This is what God has created. He has created it not least for us, therefore we should take better care of it. It is an amazingly functional place when you think about it. It is not only functional, it is beautiful. Did God have to do that? It doesn't seem to me that he had to make it beautiful for us to live in it. But maybe we're spiritual beings and maybe we respond to beauty. And maybe the beauty of creation speaks of the beauty of the creator who we cannot see. Indeed, that's the case. He made it functional, but he also made it beautiful to delight our hearts. And consider the place where we live, sandwiched as we are between the the majestic Pacific Coast and the majestic Sierra Nevada, and you can just go anywhere in in a few miles to see something that's absolutely beautiful and stunning. People come from all over the world to this place to see the Pacific Coast, to see the Sierra Nevada, to see Yosemite. We live in an amazing place. And we should be thankful for it. And we should note the creator. The creator has created all of this 
We should respond to it. We should respond to him. Listen to the words of the hymn. This is my father's world, and to my listening ears, all nature sings and round me rings, the music of the spheres. This is my father's world. I rest me in the thought of rocks and trees and skies and seas, his hand the wonders wrought. So we have creation. God is the creator who created this functional and he created it beautiful. How do we respond to the hymn? How do we respond to creation? The same way the 24 elders respond in the book of Revelation. It goes like this. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. By contrast, the gods of this world the gods of our world today, which go by the names of money and power and success, they created nothing. Do not bow before them. Do not give your children to bow before them. They are empty. They have the right place in a certain place, but when you deify them, you remove them from their place that only the, only, the spot of worship only belongs to God. So we have this amazing place, which is amazingly hospitable. We have been created as well. We're gonna to get to that later in Genesis. We also have been created. We've been created for this place. The place is hospitable, but uh, sometimes it seems as if we are being thrown back into some primordial state as if it's dark, uh, as if it's watery, as if we're drowning, as if we can't breathe. We, we can't see the light. It seems sometimes as if it's dark. All is darkness and there's water everywhere, metaphorically, of course. It seems sometimes as if we are formless ourselves without, without purpose, without direction. It seems sometimes as if we are void empty of people and empty even of God. And, and, and we're trying to make sense of life. It seems almost as if we are returning to the watery darkness of the womb. And how do we make sense of all of this? And what is God doing? And we are wondering that so many times in our lives. What is God doing? It seems like it's dark. It seems like I can't breathe. I'm drowning in all of this. Sometimes I have to tell you when I start my sermon, start preparing, start studying, it's dark. It's dark and it's void. And I go, what's gonna come of all of this? I'm drowning in words here. What's gonna come of all this? Sometimes you might wake up and feel the same way. It might be light outside, but it feels dark. David felt the same way. Look at Psalm 143, verse three. For the enemy has pursued my soul. He has crushed my life to the ground. He has made me sit in darkness like those long dead. The enemy has crushed me. He has made me sit in the darkness, sit in the darkness like those long dead. He also felt this way. Look at Psalm 69, verse two. I have come into deep waters and the flood sweeps over me. I have come into deep waters. It's as if he is returning 
to some kind of primordial state. I have to tell you, when I started here at PBC as a pastor, I was in a dark place. Uh, When I came here and for a long time afterwards, to be honest with you, I was in a dark place. I was in the throes of a difficult relationship and trying to figure that out. That wasn't going well. And uh, I was charged here with starting a ministry. I wasn't supposed to take over a ministry. I was, supposed, I was supposed to start one, never been a pastor before. And I'm trying to figure things out. And it's not going well in my own mind. And uh, it felt really, really dark, to be honest with you. And in my first week here at PBC, I went to bed one night. I was living over here in Palo Alto. I had a little studio apartment, living all by myself. Kind of lonely also starting out here. And uh, in the middle of the night, I, I, I woke up in a cold sweat. And I, and I just, I immediately snapped to attention. This has never happened to me before or since. I immediately snapped to attention. I sat up and I was looking around and I had this abject feeling of fear. I was afraid. And I don't even know what I was, af- what I was afraid of. I was in a dark place. Now, I am not one to immediately assign some negative experience to the work of demons, but it felt as if I were under spiritual attack at that point. And, and as I look at the scriptures, I will often see that, the, that Satan will attack when things are young, when things are new, when things are vulnerable. And I think that's the state I was in. I was a new pastor. I was young. I didn't know what I was doing. I was in the middle of this difficult relationship, and I was in a dark place. Here's what you need to know if you're in a dark place. Here's what you need to know if you're drowning in the waters. The spirit is hovering. The spirit is hovering. Like an eagle, the spirit is hovering over what's going over you, what's going on in your life, And the spirit is hovering to move circumstances into place and people into place and to orchestrate this and that in order to prepare you for the future. Because what the spirit is always doing is setting the stage for what's coming next. And you have no idea what's coming next. You have no idea really how to prepare for what's coming next other other than to draw close to the Lord But the spirit knows, and the spirit is moving all sorts of things and people into place for what's coming next. The spirit is hovering. How do you know that? Because for those of you who have walked with Jesus for a little while, you've seen the spirit do that before, haven't you? You've been in dark places. You've been drowning. And the spirit orchestrated things, didn't he? The spirit showed you things. The spirit created things. The spirit created something that you couldn't create to walk into. You've seen him do this before. He's always about doing this. The spirit is always hovering to create. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 11, that's the verse that Moses talks about, the eagle who is fluttering over its young to prepare the young Well, do you know what he's talking about there? He's talking about the Lord. He's comparing the Lord to that eagle. The Lord was in the wilderness with the people of Israel when they were in their infancy as a a nation. 
He was hovering over them, protecting them, nurturing them, guiding them to the next place, guiding them into the future, ultimately guiding them in to the promised land. When life throws you back to something that feels like a primordial state, know this, God is in the process of forming you and filling you. He's in the process of giving you purpose, of giving you direction. He's in the process of filling your life with him and with people, the right people, the people you can minister to, the people that can fellowship with you, the people who can minister to you. When life throws you back into something that feels like a primordial state, remember this, the spirit is hovering to overcome the darkness. The spirit is hovering to turn back the waters. So in Genesis 1, when is the spirit hovering? When is the spirit hovering? When it's dark? Where is the spirit hovering? Over the face of the waters? When there's non-creation, that's when the spirit is hovering. When it feels like something like non-creation in your life, that's when the spirit is hovering. Now, maybe you'll see a sign of it here or there, but oftentimes this is blind. Other than the fact that you know what the truth is, you just have to trust and believe that the spirit is hovering, even if you can't see the spirit hovering. There might be a thousand things that he's doing, to put everything into place for whatever the next step is. David sat in darkness, but he also says this in Psalm 18, verse 28. For it is you, Lord, who light my lamp. The Lord, my God, lightens my darkness. David came into many deep waters, but he says this in Psalm 18, verse 16. He sent from on high. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. That's David's experience. He sat in darkness, but the Lord rescued him. He came into many waters, but the Lord rescued him. And David, of course, anticipates the son of David, who is Jesus Christ, our Lord. He anticipates the son of David. So therefore, we, with Bartimaeus, he was the blind beggar in Jericho, and he heard that Jesus was coming to town. And what does Bartimaeus do? He cries out, have mercy on me. Who? Son of David. We too can cry out in the darkness. We, can, we too can cry out when we're drowning. Have mercy on me, son of David. Matthew recognized eventually what was going on here with Jesus. What was going on? Matthew, one of his disciples, recognized this. And he recognized that prophecy was being fulfilled. Prophecy going way back to Isaiah was being fulfilled in the person of Jesus, who is the son of David. And he says this, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. For those dwelling in the region and the shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. And then, of course, you will remember, on a couple of occasions, 
Jesus' disciples were in this boat and then they were on the Sea of Galilee and the wind came up and the waves came up and they were worried that they were drowning. And they woke Jesus. Don't you care that we are drowning? Don't you care that we are perishing? And he gets up and he says to the wind and the waves, peace, be still. And all was calm. His oath, his covenant, his blood support me in the whelming flood. Sometimes it feels like, hello darkness, my old friend. But the spirit is hovering and Jesus is the light. If, if no shadows ever fell over, over life, will we ever really appreciate the light? If the storms never surged, would we ever really be able to hear Jesus say, peace, be still? Maybe the darkness is necessary. Maybe the storms are necessary if you want to know Jesus at a deep level, at an ever-deepening level. Maybe in some strange way, we can even give thanks for the darkness. Maybe we can even give thanks for the storms. If in the darkness and the storms, we're able to cry out, have mercy, son of David, and we end up seeing Jesus. Can you see him today? Uh, you know, obviously you can't see him with your eyes, but can you, can you see the light of the world? Can you, can you hear him? Can you hear him say to you, peace, be still? So when I was in the darkness, as I started here at PBC, uh, it was a long road, to be honest with you. I've shared about this before. I haven't shared all of it, but I'll share a little bit more of it. And, and how I came out of that darkness is a, uh, there are many different factors that the Lord used, but the spirit was hovering. I didn't know it at the time. But the spirit was hovering. That first week when I was just totally terrified, I woke up in the middle of the night in darkness, the spirit was hovering. And one of the things that happened was the creation of the young adults ministry here. It took me a while to figure things out. I never really did figure it out. I still don't have things figured out. Just when you think you've got things figured out, that's when you should be worried. Um, but the, that difficult relationship came to an end. And when it finally came to a merciful end, I, I, found my, I felt new energy. I felt new vision. I was holding on to something that I really shouldn't have been holding on to. And I went to let go. It got lighter. <laughs> it, it, I, started to, I started to be able to breathe again. And I got, uh, I got, this, I got new, new vision. And um, the Lord gave me, I think now, looking back, I can see the Lord gave me this vision for a young adult's ministry here at Peninsula Bible Church. And so I remember starting to think about this and start, okay, well, I'm going to have to gather a team to do this. How do I go about doing that? I started going to asking people, and I, I ended up targeting 12 different people to ask to start this ministry. And I thought, okay, maybe three or four will say yes, and that's all, we'll, all it will take to start this thing, three or four people maybe. And uh, I asked 12 people, and 11 people said yes. It was unbelievable to, unbelievable to me that 11 people said yes. And one of the people brought his girlfriend, which made for 12. 
So I asked 12 people, 12 people said yes. And the person who asked his girlfriend was Alex Cho and his girlfriend, Alma Cho, and who have been part of this church for at least as long as I have. And so uh, we decided to start the Young Adults Ministry. We met uh, for four Sundays, and then we started, uh, the, the 12 of us, we met for four Sundays, and then we just started over here, right here in the fireside wing. And one Sunday, we had a different tiered schedule that, uh, those mornings when we met here, and uh, we were able to start right here. Started with 12 people. We just opened up for the first Sunday, and how many people came? 40. 40 people came the first Sunday. It was light. <laughs> I could breathe again. The waters subsided. What did God do? He formed the ministry and he filled the ministry with, with himself and with, with, with people. And the, the ministry continues to this day, now led by Dan Westman. Look at the stuff God does in the darkness. Look at the stuff that God does when you are drowning. Sometimes the saying is true. The darkest hour is just before dawn. Sometimes you sit in the darkness. Sometimes the waters overwhelm you. When that happens, remember that the spirit of God is hovering over your life. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the end, we know that God will create a new heavens, the new heavens and the new earth. And if you think this place is awesome, wait until you see that place. You can't even begin to imagine how great it is. We're given a glimpse in the book of Revelation toward the end of what it looks like. But it is going to be absolutely awesome. And you know what? The spirit is hovering right now in the darkness over many waters to bring about and to create that new creation, the new heavens and the new earth. This is my father's world. Oh, let me ne'er forget, forget that though the wrong seems off so strong, God is the ruler yet. This is my father's world, the battle is not done. Jesus who died shall be satisfied and earth and heaven, what? Be one. Until that day, what should we do? One of the things we should do is this, because this is what the apostle Paul told us to do. This is the stuff of earth. This is the stuff of creation. It's bread, it's a cup, it's wine, it's bread and wine. It's what God has created. It's what the earth has brought forth. And yet, as beautiful and as awesome as it is, it becomes even more beautiful and awesome as Jesus transforms it for us so that it represents his body and his blood. Let me read for you that great passage in... 1 Corinthians 11, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper saying, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. 
For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So we have a come forward communion today. So that means those of you at the center can come forward as the ushers direct you. Those of you who are in the wings can come forward at any time. And uh, also when you come forward, remember to bring your prayer cards and to drop them off in the box. Let me pray for us. In the beginning, Lord, you created the heavens and the earth and then we all fell. But Lord, there is a story of redemption in all of this too, which begins very soon in the book of Genesis, which culminates in the coming of Christ and the death of Christ. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for your amazing sacrifice, for your body, for your blood. We do this in remembrance of you. Amen.